0: week we sort of gave a general overview of the psalm and I thought this week it would be helpful if I took the psalm and used it like I would in a counseling situation to take someone, a Christian, a professing Christian who is struggling in their lives over some circumstance that they may have encountered or Some sin that's cropped up in their hearts that they've just not been able to overcome. Psalm 1 is a psalm that I have used regularly to help brothers and sisters understand where they are in God's grace and how they need to progress, how they will progress on if they follow the teaching of Psalm 1. So, Brothers and sisters, I'm going to read verse 3, and that'll be the verse that we'll focus on this morning. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. But in whatever he does, he prospers. Um, This psalm as I said earlier, is a psalm of instruction. It's a psalm that we are to learn from. It is, gives us guidance and instruction about who we are and about how we can live that blessed life, that happy life that God has called us to in himself. Now, there's a couple of things that, we need to sort of understand if we're going to not be caught um, or fall into any of these uh, nuances like happiness. I mean, some Christians are very averse to happiness for some reason. They believe that uh, following God is a um, is a such a hard, arduous work that well, smiling or being happy happy about it is a little sinful. And the Puritans have gotten a very bad reputation. Uh, Unbeknownst to them, I mean, they certainly didn't promote it in any way. They were very serious um, followers of Christ. But at the same time, they weren't unhappy people. They didn't promote unhappiness. In fact, they fostered happiness and believed in what they would call the merriment of life. They just saw that the things that we ought to be merry about were some of the simple things of life, the things that are kind of right in front of us. Oftentimes, we're looking for things to make us happy when they're really right there in front of us, and we're not making use of those things. So the Bible's not averse to happiness. In fact, I would tell you, and it is in relationship to many of our Reformed um, fathers that Well, happiness is very much a part of the Christian life. Joy, peace, resting in Christ. To rest in Christ is to not be wearied by all of the workings out of uh, trying to work our way into heaven. If you're trying to work your way into heaven, Well, you're wearing yourself out because you're never going to make it. You're never going to work yourself into a better condition. How many times have you heard, or maybe you've even said this, well, I'll come to Christ when I am better. I've got some things to settle in my life, but when I'll settle those things, I'll come to Jesus. I've witnessed to hundreds of people, and that's not an exaggeration. And I've heard that over and over. Well, I'm not ready, but when I get ready, I'm going to clean my life up and then I'm going to come to Jesus because I'm serious. Well, that's backwards. Because as we learned about the publican, you can't clean your life up enough to be accepted by God. No matter how much cleaning you do in your heart, there's still that much more to clean up. And to deal with and to address. And we oftentimes can put old sins behind us, but only to encounter new sins. Why? Why does that happen? Because we haven't yet dealt with ourselves. Because we have yet to deal with our own hearts in the circumstances that God has put us in to learn certain things. Well, Psalm 1 helps us with this. It's a psalm that most believe, and I think I fall into this camp as well, that Ezra more than likely wrote this psalm as an introduction to the psalms. It's, not, um, it's a common belief that the, uh, the Ezra, the priest, compiled the psalms, what we have. And it is very, very likely that he wrote an introduction to the Psalms. And that's what many people believe Psalm 1 is, an introduction to the rest of the Psalter. Well, if that's true, and I think there's warrant for it, it's a phenomenal introduction to the Psalms. Why? Because it tells us how to be that blessed and happy person Who walks in the ways of the Lord? It tells us that there are only two kinds of people, that there are only two paths to take, and that there are only two eternities waiting. That's it. Now, where do we get that? Where would that, where, as we study our Bibles, where do we come up with that? Well, from the very beginning. So much of our theology, when when we encounter it, we need to trace it back to its origin. This This is very much like the garden. This is very much like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree posited two things, right? Two ways. You can either live by the word of God, trusting in him, Or you can do it yourself. You can learn good and evil on your own or you can listen to God. You can learn from him. You can take his word for it. And of course, then we have another tree, the tree of life. These symbols that are set forth in the very beginning showing us that it's God's way and then there's the blessing of life if he partakes of this tree or there's man's way and man's way leads to death. That's the same thing. All of that is impregnated in the psalm and the whole psalter is nothing more than covenantal expressions of God's people either In in jubilation of God's great works of salvation, whether individually or family or a nation, great mercies toward the church, um, distresses prayers. I mean, they're covenantal, meaning that these are the expressions of people in the raw form of here's what people do. Here's what people struggle with. These are the struggles and the stresses and the life of God's covenant people in any given circumstance. That's the Psalter. That's why people love them. That's why the Psalter is the most popular book in all the Bible. Most people, and I would say I'll leave a lot of, uh, of unbelieving people read the Psalms because it does seem to resonate with human experience. And of course, Psalm 1 kind of sits as the crown of the Psalter. Now, what is it about verse 3 that I want us to learn? and see from the verse itself? Well, first of all, we look at that first little bit there of the Hebrew, he shall be like. Now, what's important about this? What's important about this is that this, this verb is connected to the previous verb up in verse two. Two. It's the first verb. There's a, that is, it's a sequential connection verb in Hebrew, meaning there's a linear, there's a, a linear approach to what's going on here and there are connections to make. So what's the connection we are to make? Well, first of all, it's right there in verse two, the last clause and he. And in his law, he meditates day and night. The verb meditate is connected to he shall be. Meaning that if you are the person that meditates on God's law, what is the next sequential reality in your life? If you're a person that's meditating on God's law, what is your expectation? You're going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. It's not magical, right? It's not a great Eastern mystery. Christianity isn't like that. It's not a club. You don't join a, you know, it's not like the Christians in the church, then you've got, you know, your general Christians, and then you've got those real serious Christians. Now, I knew they are serious Christians. But it's not a club. That is, this is, this is, this is supposed to be for all of God's people. This is a description for all of God's people, right? And this is what we need to grasp and understand if we are going to be useful and profitable and have that persevering vitality in our lives. If we want that, if we want that to be true of us, well, then we we would study verse three and we would make the connections. That is, that person who delights in the law of the Lord, well, he meditates on it. He studies it. He listens to it. He reads it. He interacts with it. She interacts with it. It's more than just that weekly interaction here and there. It's ongoing. You can can see how uh, how he put it together day and night. That sequential practice, if you will. Day and night. And again, it complies with that verb that verse three starts off with, he shall be like, right? That tree firmly planted. And brothers and sisters, if you want to have that, that solid, fruitful Christian life, this is what you have to do. It's what you have to do. You want to overcome sin in your life. You want to overcome the difficulty. You want to overcome those habits patterns in your life, you have to develop new habit patterns, those things that God has commanded of you to do. And, and then you can say, well, God doesn't command me to read my Bible at eight o'clock in the morning and at nine o'clock at night. No, I would say that isn't in the Bible. I would say it's more than that. How? Well, I mean, you don't have to have your Bible in your hand think on it you can memorize a verse and carry that with you you can put it on an index card carry it with you I, i i would i would challenge you to just take a verse most of you may even have this psalm memorized i mean it's a psalm that a lot of people memorize i would say i have committed it to memory a few times myself But to put something on an index card and just, I mean, we live in Atlanta. There's a lot of traffic. You can sit there in a a line of traffic at a light that's red, not green. And you could read that index card three or four times. And you would be surprised by the end of the day, by the end of the week, you would have it memorized. It'd be implanted in your mind. The point, that the psalmist is making this person that's extremely blessed and happy, the one who is opposed to the world, and that's verse one. The reason that this person does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornfuls because they are not of this world. They are not of this world. John, This is what John the Apostle was talking about when he said, love for the world is hatred toward God. This is what he was talking about. There is nothing new in his message. There is nothing New Testament about that. It goes all the way back to the beginning. And it's throughout all of Scripture That's what makes this introduction so profitable and essential and why it's good to spend some time here. So when you sit down, I mean, typically there are, there are a number of reasons why we become overwhelmed in life. Sometimes we're not prepared. Often we're not. Well, we're not prepared in the proper sense. I mean, sometimes there are some things you can't be prepared for. But we can prepare ourselves in walking with God so that when we are caught by surprise, we know how to rest in the Lord in that circumstance and bear fruit through it, okay? We don't lose our minds. We're able to take a deep breath, rest in the Lord, prayerfully seek his face, and then bear fruit Fruit, good works. Bear fruit, be useful going through the circumstance. And this is what it's teaching us. It all begins, of course, with the Lord's word, God's word, God's law. You know, the word law, Torah, in the Hebrew simply means the way. Well, the way the way you should go, where you should go. is simple. There's man's way and there's God's way. And it doesn't matter if it's academia. I mean, it doesn't matter who over here is in the collective. It's still man's way if it's not God's way. Even if it's the twisting of Scripture, it's man's way. It's man's, it's man's attempt to justify himself over here, as we learned this morning, right? And often, it's in the hardships that we do justify ourselves. Why? Because we want to do certain things in the midst of, whether it's like, well, you know what? I'm not gonna forgive this person And you can justify it, right? I'm not going to help this person for the fifth time. I mean, you know just that's not a blanket statement that all that's needed is always this forgiveness. Always there's caveats when we do forgive. there can be things we have to talk about. I mean there, there are things. There's maturity when we look at these concepts even helping others. But yet, these are still things that we might justify in not doing because we don't want to. We don't want to do it God's way. It's too much. It requires too much of us. That usually happens when there's some type of church problem. When there's, difficulty in the church instead of coming together and banding together, learning and prospering through it, bearing fruit through it, oftentimes people throw their hands up and they just leave and and yet then learn nothing in the process. And that's what Ephesians 4 is talking about. Ephesians 4 is talking about how a church is to grow in love and unity together. as with plurals. It's not you grow in love and unity and you grow in love and unity and you grow in love and unity and you back there grow in love and unity. No, it's about growing collectively in love and unity. Learning how to do these things. And this is what God expects of us as a body And again, this is where we are here. The psalmist is highlighting the fact and using this beautiful portrait, this simile of a tree, not a special tree. There's nothing special about this Hebrew word for tree. In fact, it's a very common word for tree. But what is it that makes this word unique and special in its context? Well, A couple of things. Number one, this tree was planted. It didn't plant itself. No, the the context lends itself that this person has been planted into fertile soil of God's word. And now this tree has sent out its roots and now deeply benefiting from the nourishment of that word. Now that's twofold. Number one, God does the planting. God does the the rooting, if you will, but yet man does the meditating. God doesn't robotically force you to meditate on His Word. That is something you should desire to do and long to do and want to do and make, if you delight in it, you should make time to do it. And yet, how often do we all struggle with that? Some of the most important things in our lives are so easily put off. But this tree's planted. Planted. Now, it's not just that this tree's planted. It's not like this tree's been planted on the wood line. No, this tree's planted in a special place. Think about the church. It's planted by these streams of waters, and this is plural in the Hebrew, meaning this is a cultivated aquifer. It, it, it literally is like they, the Egyptians did at the Nile where they would block off, run the Nile and all of these checkerboard patterns, and they planted their crops in these checkerboards, so that these crops always had the nourishment of the Nile River. That's the picture here. Notice in the Garden of Eden, what was it bordered by? Four rivers. Right? What was that? What, again, what's the picture? Life, vitality. Why do you think there are cities along riverbanks? Right? Because that's where the nerves, that's where you can go. That's where you can, you, you get sustenance. You got to have water. You, you got to quench your thirst. But that's, the, everything needs water to live and grow. And that's the picture here. It's not just that this tree has been planted, but this tree has been planted in the best place. It's not accidental, beloved, that God saved you and put you in a church. All churches aren't equal, but all true churches are beneficial. Okay? Not all church bodies are equal. But all church bodies should be beneficial, encouraging, right? Accommodating in some sense, right? We've got to live with one another. None of us are perfect. So there are some accommodations that we learn to live with. And these are what I would call godly compromises. I mean, you know, all too often I've seen it, I've seen it more in the Reformed faith than I care to, where the smallest sins are come down on like the worst kind of sins. And friendships, relationships that were destroyed over it. There's nothing godly about that. But some people find that type of Christianity a lot easier than this type of Christianity. You know, growing in grace. Benefiting from what God has put before me. Helping me understand that if I'm going to prosper, I am going to have to feast upon the word of God. I'm gonna to have to know it. In fact, hold, hold your Bibles there. I mean, look at Joshua. Joshua. Look at Joshua chapter one. I mean, just look at verse six and following. It says, be strong and courageous. Now, this is the counsel to Joshua. He's over, who has taken Moses' place as the leader of, if you will, of Israel as they go in to conquer the promised land. He says, you know, um, be strong and courageous for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. And do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may know, so that you may have success wherever you go. Well, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but it shall, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. I, uh, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous, do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord, your God is with you wherever you go. Oh, can't we see right that in Psalm one? This is what he's talking about here. This not maybe, listen, brothers and sisters, here's what I'm gonna tell you tonight. Make sure I don't, we gotta keep up with our time. This is what I'm gonna tell you. If you are a child of God, you can overcome sin in your life. That's not to say it's gonna be easy. Some are easier than others. If there are proclivities in your life that need to be overcome, you can overcome them. Here's my point. My point is God has given you everything you need to be a godly man or woman, husband or father, wife or mother, friend, brother, sister, cousin, Family member, patriot, anything you need to do what God has called you to do, God has given you the resource to accomplish it. That's it. All that involves your character, your person. God has given you His Spirit and His Word to empower you and to guide you into being the kind of person that does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who meditates on God's law, who is separate from this world who is a part of God's heavenly kingdom, is like a tree planted by the streams of water. It lacks no nourishment whatsoever. He always, he or she always has the nourishment they need. And I guess I can say this, even though I passed over it and just brushed on it last week why does the bible spend so much time warning us about some people because one of the easiest ways for you to fail as a christian is to be around the wrong people is to it befriending the wrong person marrying the wrong person i mean sometimes i mean sometimes parents have to deal with their children like that Sometimes siblings have to do similar things. But the reason the Bible speaks to that all throughout the scriptures is because one of the easiest ways to get someone to fail is to associate with the wrong people. That's just all there is to it. And we have a whole book called Proverbs on it. Okay? But how do you insulate yourself. How do you do that? Well, you you become a student of the word. Why? Why the word? Because is it not the word that gives you wisdom? Is it not the word that gives you discretion and discernment? Is it not God's word that shows you the the differences and distinctions between this and that? You, You see, brothers, I'm not talking about really white and black I'm talking about white and that which is almost white. It's whitish. That's the subtlety. See, there are those that would say, oh, no, 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 I would never, never have anything to do with that group. But it's the subtle ones. And if you are not, Drinking deeply from the Word of God and and having your senses tuned, your discernment honed. That's why the book of Proverbs is so, so valuable to study for a young person. Why do you think that's why the Hebrew youth would study it? So that they were hopefully cultivated and raised upon how to discern between these things so that they don't fall victim and pray to them. I know the word we use today is grooming. Well, I just read a whole thing about how they do it. And, I, I, you know, it's not funny, but in the sense, is there anything new under the sun? And what's the first thing they do? Accept them. What's the second thing they do? Accommodate them. I understand you. What's the third thing they do? Act like that secret friend. No matter what you do, I won't tell anybody. Then they start being a giver. Little gifts here and there. Well, then they start telling them their secrets. And they feel special. Why? Because this person is telling me their secrets. They don't trust anybody else like they trust me they feel special that's a powerful drug i mean it works but how see how do we prepare our youth how do we prepare ourselves how do we train up the next generation to discern between this and that to listen to these nuances and subtleties and to understand hey you can talk to me about anything I'm your mom. I'm your dad. I'm your pastor. You come here. We'll sort this out. We'll work on this. Brothers and sisters, listen. The whole picture there in verse 3 to be like a tree planted by the streams of water. It, it's the whole idea is that of this ongoing nourishment, lacking nothing. That's at the first part of the verse. Notice the second part, which yields its fruit in its season. All right, a couple of things there and we'll look at John 15. First of all, fruit trees do bear fruit. There is not a fruit tree that does not bear fruit that's worth keeping. Okay? What's the picture in the Psalms is that, no, you're like a fruit tree planted by all of these benefits. What's, remember the Hebrew verb I told you about, the linear consequential progression? What's, what, if you have all that you need The vitality, you you, you have the sustenance, the nourishment, all that you've been given. What's the result of that going to be? Fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. It's not that you might bear fruit. (laughs) No, you will bear fruit. And you're going to bear fruit in its proper season. We all know when the apple season is here. We know when the apple trees are going to fruit. Fruit. We know when the orange trees are going to fruit. Why? Because it's in the seasons to do so. You don't have trees just on their own bearing fruit and you're going, oh my, I got to go out there and pick these trees. I just, all of a sudden, fruit popped up. No, it's seasonal and it's predictable. So are you. If God is nourishing you, and you are feasting upon that nourishment faithfully, you're making use of it, you're going to bear fruit. If you don't, we have a problem. Turn to John 15. As we read John 15, let me remind you of Matthew 13. Remember, out of the four soils, only the last soil That bore fruit was the acceptable soil, and this is in keeping with that. This is this is not at all. This is consistent all the way through the Bible. Look at verse one of fifteen. I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. Now, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Now, let me stop there. Now, notice, does he prune the fruitless branch? No, it's taken away because what's the expectation of this branch in Christ? fruitfulness you have been planted brothers and sisters in jesus to bear fruit to be useful to do good works for the glory of god without exception if you bear fruit then god is going to prune you to bear more fruit So you're either fruitful or more fruitful. Take your pick. You're either fruitful or more fruitful because God is going to prune you. What's this pruning? Well, these can be the providential hardships of life. You have an anger problem. You have a lust problem. You have a greed problem. You have a lazy problem, a consistency problem. You have a follow-through problem. All of these things may hinder you from bearing much fruit. So the Lord again comes and chastens you so that you what? Bear even more fruit than you're bearing because he puts you in the crucible, if you will, to hone you, to shape you. Just like taking a block of wood that's got some rough edges on it, I'm going to sand it down, make it smooth and useful. So God comes into our lives and prunes us. And how does God do it primarily? A lot of times, most a lot, a lot of relationships relationships. The people. They're the pesky ones. They're the ones hard to get along with. Right? I, I've heard people say, I could do, you know, I find myself, I could be a loner sometimes, but, you know, you say I could be better off without people. But God made us to be social creatures. He made us to be around others. And that means we have to have the grace To do it and to be good at it and to be faithful at it and to be godly in it. But notice what he says. So we've got fruit and more fruit. Verse three, well, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine and neither can you unless you abide in me. Well, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What he's saying is if you are a Christian and you are in Christ, you're gonna be fruitful. No excuses. That's Psalm 1. You are these things if you are in Christ. If you've been planted in him into these graces, right? You're going to be fruit. You cannot help but be fruitful because Christ is flowing through you. And he says, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit. That means, brothers and sisters, again, the Psalm of Instruction You and I in Christ have the ability to grow in our character. We can be be patient people, loving people, compassionate people, courageous people, faithful people, consistent people, useful people. Not perfect, but we can be all those things in Christ. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't take some a little more time to get there than others. But we're all fruitful and we all can possess these things because of Christ. And again, you can see right down there um, in verse 11, ties back into Psalm 1 nicely, I think. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. One of the things that ought to make us happy Christians is that we are fruitful and useful in the kingdom of God. That is, we are glorifying God. We are uh, prospering and, and able to glorify him and grow in our character and take our circumstances and use them in a way that benefits the kingdom of God. What a blessing. What a blessing. So he's a fruitful person. Now in this other clause there, and its leaf does not wither, I mean that to me is perseverance and vitality um, i think it's psalm ninety two let me see if that's i got the right one yeah it is psalm ninety two Look there in verse 13, it says, um, let's back up. It says, verse 12, the righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar of in Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. And they will flourish in the courts of our God. And they will still yield fruit in old life. They shall be full of sap and in every and very green and declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. I take verse 92 in application to this, talk about the perseverance of your testimony. And I cannot tell you how important this is. And I'm I'm gonna repeat myself, but it bears worthy of repeating I'm old enough now as a Christian and as a man, I have seen many not follow through with the faith. I have seen many fall away. Many that I looked up to and wanted to be like. Not, not, they did not stay green They did not continue to bear that great testimony of Christ. They did not continue to to press through the pruning and become more fruitful. They didn't continue on in their glorious testimony that Christ had saved them out of great sin and sorrow and misery. Not at all. They fell away and become indifferent. verse 3, brothers and sisters, is talking about your testimony. How are you going to preserve your testimony? Well, you better meditate on God's law day and night. How are you going to maintain that vitality in old age? You better meditate on the Word of God. Learn how to use it in your old age. I, I knew a woman infirmed, could barely couldn't take care of herself in the proper sense of the word was was dependent on others to take care of her and all she wanted to do while she could she'd read the bible then she got to where she couldn't handle the bible she was crippled up so she would take this rod this wood and she 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 had the bible on uh Audio and she'd push the play button. And she'd listen to the Bible all day long. All she'd do is lay there. And when she couldn't do that, she'd ask somebody to do it. That's a testimony of the love of Word of God. It'd been so easy for her to give up. It'd been so easy and justifiable for her to lay there in, in agony and pain that she was in. But she wanted to listen to the word of God over and over and over and over, I don't know how many times. But it was never enough. In the last statement, don't be afraid of it. In whatever he does, he prospers. What is this verse, what is that clause dealing with? Favor, God's favor. Does it mean you're going to be the next Bill Gates? Just the righteous version of it? No. But what it means is the things that you put your efforts and and time and resources in will prosper because you have the right motivations, you have the right understanding and your love for the Word of God and the love of God and the love of God's people flowing in and through you, the riches of Christ, you will prosper. Brothers and sisters, success is not a secret. Read Proverbs. It talks about the man that gets up early and goes to work consistently. He says he will prosper. Now add to that the blessing of God. That's better. This is what we seek. We seek to be prosperous in all things of the Lord. Why? Well, brothers and sisters, your happiness is tied to it. Who doesn't want to be Successful. There's nothing sinful about success. There's nothing sinful in being good at what you do, as long as it's lawful. And there's nothing wrong with expecting God's favor upon you. You think about the Apostle Paul, he says, I've learned to be content with much and with little. I've learned, I mean, I've had a lot and then I've had it all taken away. And Paul would never say he's poor. I'm rich in Christ. The best thing we can do when we prosper is prosper in our character. Character. The Bible tells us that a man's word is better than gold and silver. Do you believe that? Be a person of your word. A name is to be honored, the righteous are to be honored. That's part of this. The legacy you leave behind, yet yeah, maybe, maybe it will be a lot when it comes to wealth. Maybe it'll be a lot of, of assets in that sense. But, but at the end of the day, if it's just assets, you failed. You failed. Any Christian that just leaves assets to their posterity has failed their posterity because you should want to couple those assets with a godly legacy of character that you have given them an example to follow and have done it in such a way that you've created a thirst in them. We're not gonna talk about how to do that, but we're gonna talk about that's what you should do. Live before God in such a way that your testimony, your legacy, your character creates a thirst in the people around you. And that is easier said than done. But that's the picture. Let's pray. You know, Father, we want to be, Lord, we are this tree planted in Christ, in the house of the Lord. Lord. Lord, help us to grasp this truth. Help us to understand how we have been nourished by grace. Let our expectation be, Lord, that we will bear fruit in its season. Lord, that it's predictable we will be fruitful. That we will maintain, even in older age, this vitality of testimony of life, and Lord, ready to declare your goodness, your greatness, Lord, your grace and mercy, that we would thrive in growing older, recognizing that we have more to say about your faithfulness than any other. And Father, let your favor rest upon us, whether that is only spiritually Or, Lord, whether you have made us worthy of these physical assets, Lord, whatever that is, we don't know. But, Lord, work in us that we would be useful. Lord, if you choose to prosper us materially, let us be the men and women that can handle it. And not go astray. And not fall away. And not hold to the blessing rather than the blesser. Father, it's no doubt that Psalm 1 is talking about the person that knows the difference. And so, Lord, as you see fit, come. Come and bless us in Christ's name. Amen.